Spielman and Hooley We Tackle Life podcast. This is uh, Herbie was, said exactly what I've been saying. This shows that when you have a bully pulpit, you can't say stuff that makes complete common sense. Because how many weeks have I been saying exactly what he said? Yeah, that I Michi- think there's a Michigan, more uh... Michigan. Well, he has more. He has to be more careful, of course. Uh, but Herbie said last night basically what I've and been saying. And of course, Michigan's, he's got to apologize. Michigan. Yes, of course he had to apologize. Kirk Herbstreet, uh, I will not apologize later on in the podcast for my uh, more pointed comments today on the uh, Vanderbilt kicker Sarah Fuller and the furor that continues to rage about her performance in the Commodores' shutout loss to Missouri that resulted in the firing of head coach Derek Mason, but I reserve those comments for uh, Friday edition of the Spielman and Hooley We Tackle Life podcast because I don't want any of it to land on Chris, and I know that... Uh, as with Kirk Herbstreet saying that he didn't think Michigan would play Ohio State, uh, people get offended. What did I see today that somebody had to apologize? Oh, Chris Collinsworth had to apologize for being uh, struck by how passionate the uh, female Steeler fans were about their Steelers. So uh, you can't uh, you can't acknowledge that anything surprises you or whatever anymore. So uh, we'll get to all that, but more important matters. Uh, portend here at the beginning of a Friday edition, a December 4th edition of the Spielman and Hooley We Tackle Life podcast. Chris is on his way, <clears throat> excuse me, to his NFL game. Glad to have you with me. And we'll start with the Buckeyes in Michigan State. And that is going to happen tomorrow in East Lansing. Noon start. It will be Ohio State's fifth game. It's kind of a precursor to the question everybody really wants to know, which is, will Ohio State get a sixth game in a regular season? Will the Michigan game happen? Michigan will not play Maryland tomorrow. Michigan has COVID issues, and they have quarterback issues. And when I say they have quarterback issues, I mean they have quarterback issues beyond the fact their quarterbacks aren't very good. Joe Milton and Cade McNamara, their quarterbacks, are apparently both injured. And so this has been a topic of conversation in Ann Arbor, is that not will Michigan have players to play, uh, you know, enough players to play, will they be able to get past the whole COVID thing and play Ohio State based upon their COVID testing? But will they have a quarterback who's played any snaps at all when they get ready to play Ohio State, presuming they do get ready to play Ohio State? Uh, Man, I'm telling you what, uh, if Michigan has to play at Ohio State, with a third-team quarterback, um, would uh, would Ohio State take mercy on them? Should Ohio State take mercy on them? Uh, and everybody right now, you're all shaking your heads going, no, of course not. Uh, so uh, this reminds me a little bit of Jerry Faust's final games at Notre Dame. And he went into Miami, and he had to play Miami when Miami was really, really good and I think the Hurricanes put like 50-some on them. And, and you know, really, honestly, Jim Harbaugh and I think the Michigan fan base, if you presented them right now with a scenario where, hey, your tests compel you to play at Ohio State, and Ohio State will score 51 against you. They'll get over 50. Will you take that? I think they'd be wise to take that, as opposed to Ohio State getting 60 or 70 or if they really wanted 280. Uh, although they may give up. Well, no, they won't give up any because Michigan will have a third-team quarterback. And obviously Michigan has guys who are 
testing positive for COVID or they'd be playing Maryland this week. And you know what? Honestly, they'd lose to Maryland. They're that bad. So uh, that's where we sit with the Michigan-Ohio State game. The Michigan State game will happen against Ohio State on Saturday. We don't know who will not play for Ohio State. That's the only time we're going to get, well, maybe Friday uh, night they're going to release. I think they test at 6 o'clock tonight. And then we'll get a report on who's out. They won't tell you why they're out, but you can make the assumption that if... uh, I I don't want to mention a player specifically because then you'll... It could get lost upon some people that I'm just throwing a name out, that I'm not actually reporting that X player tested positive for COVID, and that's why he's out of the game. So let's say they have four starters who are missing, unavailable for Michigan State. The assumption will be they're all ineligible for Michigan State or unable to play against Michigan State, rather, because of COVID. You don't know that. Maybe it's something else. But that will be the assumption. And if that is true, if it is COVID, then those players, whoever's listed and does indeed have COVID, will not be able to play against Michigan next week because there's that 21-day you know, thing that you can't play in the Big Ten. It's their really uh, overprotective uh, situation on keeping players apart because myocarditis, COVID, whatever. So I don't know uh, whether we'll ever find out exactly who has COVID or not, maybe after the season if they want to tell us. So that's where the Ohio State-Michigan State game sits. Michigan State is, uh, they've got two wins that I didn't expect them to get. I didn't expect them to win at Michigan. I didn't expect them to beat Penn State. Was it Penn State they beat last week? They beat last week. No, it wasn't Penn State because Penn State played Michigan. Uh, Oh, Northwestern. They beat Northwestern. So they have two more wins than I thought they'd get. They won't beat Ohio State. Trust me on that. I know Ohio State's secondary worries a lot of you, and I know Rocky Lombardi threw two big passes, but Rocky Lombardi and Michigan State's offense is really terrible. So uh, I would expect this to be a very easy game for Ohio State, unless Justin Fields is out, and I don't have any indication that he will be out. And even if he is out, I think they'll be fine because they can run the ball and they can throw the ball. And I'm sure they have uh, a very capable backup quarterback. Presumably it's Jack Miller. Maybe it's C.J. Stroud. Uh, we just don't know. We do know that Hemisphere Coffee has the best coffee and that many people who have tried Hemisphere Coffee from the Spielman and Hooley podcast have become regular recurring customers of Hemisphere Coffee. We appreciate that very much, and I'm sure you appreciate, as a recurring customer, the opportunity to buy Hemisphere Coffee at a discount, 15% off when you use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps. Hemisphere can fix your dilemma when it comes to buying gifts for corporate entities you'd like to send a thank you gift to at Christmas or Aunt Jenny across, you know, the states in Denver or somebody that uh, this year, you know, you'd like to send something to and you want it to be something they're actually going to use and want something that's going to actually turn their head and make them appreciate the thoughtfulness you put into the gift. Try a Christmas gift pack from Hemisphere Coffee Roasters. It can be one of their Christmas flavored coffees. Like, for instance, Java Jingle, which is a macaroon cookie flavor dusted with spiced cinnamon and a nutty hint. It could be White Christmas, a delicious blend of caramel, vanilla, and white chocolate and cherry. Or Fall Harvest, a bushel of apples with cinnamon. Or it could be, you know, the go-to for Spiels is House Blend, Hunter's Blend. Or it could be something from Ethiopia, from Thailand, from Indonesia. Hemisphere Coffee is awesome. So order, use the promo code WETACKLELIFE in all caps, and get your 15% off. All right, Ryan Day did one press conference this week, one. And what came through to me 
is that Ryan Day is super bummed. He cannot be with his team because he tested positive for COVID. He has to stay at home. He can participate in practice via Zoom. And if you have done business via Zoom or interacted with people via Zoom, as I have done a lot, you know that it has become a very poor substitute for face-to-face interactions. Uh, Zoom was great in the beginning because you thought, hey, this is better than nothing because we all went through like a week or two where we had no contact with anybody when the pandemic was first uh, shutting everything down. And then after that wore off, after that novelty of, hey, look, I can talk to my pals on Zoom or, hey, I can have a business meeting or whatever, then you got to the point where you're like, well, this is really not even close to real, actual human interaction. And what often happens, and Larry Johnson, who's going to coach the game this Saturday for Ohio State, said this. He said, you can't get that eye contact. You can't get that engagement. You can't get that sense for whether the other person really understands or is enthused. And that's how they're meeting. They're meeting via Zoom with their players because they're trying to, you know, tamp down COVID. Face-to-face stuff would be a problem. So uh, they are reducing as much human contact as possible. But, of course, when you practice, you got to have human contact. It's football, after all. But Ryan Day just seemed really bummed to me. And he talked about, uh, I think he talked about things that he normally wouldn't say. Uh, when he said, oh, this has been really tough, and people don't give us enough credit for how tough this has been, and you get momentum, and you get stopped, and you get momentum again, and you get stopped. And Ryan Day's not a, oh, woe is me guy. And uh, I've always been very impressed with his charisma, his engagement, his um, his enthusiasm. And it, this you could tell this t- this has taken a toll on him. And he uh, he said Saturday watching a game will be the three toughest hours of his life. And <laughs> honestly, my first thought was, well, then you've had a really blessed life. Uh, but I know that when you're when you're invested, like Ryan is invested, he wants to be with his guys, and the guys really respond to him. He has an unbelievable bond with his players. Uh, The reason Ryan Day recruits well, the reason the Buckeyes play their tails off for him is because he just has uh, a, an innate ability to relate to people and to draw the best out of people uh, collectively and individually. And so that's great for a coach, but what we undervalue in that is how much joy and fulfillment the person who has that gift, in this case, Ryan Day, gets from doing that with other people, gets from being a leader, gets from serving others that way, gets from raising the capacity of his players. So I understand why Ryan is off his emotional game a bit, because it is a two-way street. We often think about uh, leaders lead, and that's great because of the results that their leadership brings. The other side of that street is the fulfillment the leader gets from doing that. And Ryan, being confined to home, is not getting that fulfillment from leading in the way that he'd prefer to lead. So uh, I chalk those comments up to uh, that, that he is missing those things from his team and that he uh, cannot wait to get back and re-engage with his team. So uh, speaking of a gifted leader re-engaging with his team. Uh, The rumors are starting about Urban Meyer to Texas. This makes 100% sense 
because if there's a program out there that has uh, more resources than Ohio State, it would be Texas. Now, I'm not saying they do have more resources, but you could stack up a lot of great things about the Ohio State job, and the Texas job can match virtually all of them. The one thing the Texas job cannot match that the Ohio State job has is in-state recruiting monopoly. Cincinnati's doing great. Luke Fickle's doing great. But Ohio State is different than every other D1 football program in the state of Ohio. That's not true in Texas. Texas A&M is a viable alternative to Texas. Uh, Baylor isn't, but Baylor's closer to Texas than, say, Kent State or Akron are to Ohio State. So Texas doesn't have the in-state recruiting monopoly, but Texas has more players than Ohio does, so may not matter. Texas has a great league that it can dominate, like Ohio State. Texas has well-heeled boosters. In fact, I think Texas boosters probably have more money than Ohio State boosters. Not more than Les Wexner, but there are more guys like Les Wexner in Texas. Texas has great tradition. Texas has great facilities. Texas is located in a state capital, but it is nevertheless a college town. It is a great place to live, as is Columbus a great place to live. Uh, and Texas has its own network. Ohio State has the Big Ten network, but you know you got to put up with crap like Iowa night on the Big Ten network or North great moments in Northwestern history. You don't have to put up with that on the Longhorn network. What could Urban Meyer do with his own TV network? We've all seen how dynamic Urban is on television in his work at Fox. So, of course, Texas has the money. They could pay Urban $10 million a year. They could pay Urban $20 million a year if they wanted to. And tell me the Big 12 isn't pretty close to what the Big 10 was like when Urban came into the Big 10 and just absolutely dominated. He's got Oklahoma to deal with, but Oklahoma's a little bit down. Otherwise, in the Big 12, mm, nobody. Nobody. And so Texas and Urban make perfect sense. And the Texas people are like, hey, there's the guy we want. Let's go get him. Now, as for Urban, so it makes perfect sense for Texas, okay? And there's a story out today that Chris Del Conte, their athletic director, and their school president have already met with Urban. All right, so if that's true, I'm not saying it is, but if that is true, that is how you would entice Urban Meyer to come back into coaching. You don't send, you know, little, you, you don't, you, you close up any lingering question in Urban's mind that he might have if Chris Del Conte, the AD, reaches out to him and Urban goes, well, you know, is your school president on board with everything I want to do? No, no, you put the school president right there in the room. And the school president says, whatever you want, champ. You win your fourth national championship at Texas. You win, your, you win a national championship in a third straight league. You appeal to, you know, Urban's competitive edge, leadership edge, all the things that you want to do. Urban could go, well, you know, I got a restaurant here in Columbus. We'll get you a restaurant here in Austin. Don't you worry about that, Urban. Uh, Urban could say, well, what about my son-in-law, Corey Dennis? You know, he's the quarterback coach at Ohio State, and my grandchildren are here. Would you like Corey Dennis to be your offensive coordinator? Uh, bring him on down with you. You know, so <laughs> anything Urban wants, Texas is in position to grant. Now, Urban, of course, cannot force the other members of his inner sanctum, his core four, as he calls it, I call it his Meyer Mafia, uh, 
he can't force those guys to go with him. He cannot force Mark Pantone, essentially his general manager, who heads up recruiting, he cannot force Mark Pantone to go with him. He cannot force Mickey Marotti, his strength coach, to go with him. He cannot force, force Brian Voltolini, his right-hand man. His He would he would be in the parlance of, en- of the entertainment industry, Urban's personal assistant. Voltolini's the guy who takes everything off Urban's plate that Urban doesn't want to deal with. And yes, I am resisting the temptation to mention uh, wiping Urban's cell phone. Or did I just mention it? Anyway. <laughs> Voltolini, Marotti, and Pantone, I will just say this. They would be, I think, more likely to follow Urban to Texas than they would be to follow Urban to Los Angeles, to USC. Now, there's no USC job open yet, but it's a matter of time with Clay Helton. We all know that. Even Clay Helton knows that, I think. But... Urban, this will be a very interesting conversation. Imagine it. Imagine it. Marotti, Pantone, Voltolini. They have all achieved wonderfully in their football endeavors. They can stand on their own merits. But imagine their sense of loyalty that they have to Urban Meyer. Because the truth of the matter is, while they can stand on their own two feet and while they're talented individuals and while they did great work, Everywhere they've been, everywhere they've been are places that Urban Meyer took them, right? Yes. So how do you look Urban Meyer in the eye and say, yeah, I know you took me to Utah and you took me to Florida and you took me to Columbus and I'm making tons of money and I'm winning rings and life is grand, but no, I'm not going with you. Conversely, that's a tough conversation. That's a tough no to tell Urban Meyer. Conversely, all three of those guys are in the uh, second year of experiencing life with Ryan Day. And listen, I'm just going to say this, and don't take it as a shot at anybody. It's just the truth. Ryan Day's got to be easier to work for than Urban. He does. Ryan is a product of a different generation. Ryan is demanding, but Ryan is not as much, okay, I said as much, of a dictator as Urban. Maybe Ryan, I've said before, Ryan has a kinder, gentler way of getting the same things done. Urban is a challenger. Urban will challenge you uh, in a way that makes you more uncomfortable than the way Ryan challenges you. But both of them challenge you. It's not to imply that Ryan is a softy or that Ryan goes easy on guys. Uh, but I just think Urban can, you know, every day's every day's survival of the fittest with Urban. And Ryan, I think, uh, from the people I've talked to, I said last year, Ryan was the perfect coach for that team at that time because I think everybody went, we can breathe a little bit now. Because with Urban, he holds himself to an exacting standard and he makes sure everybody else is up to that same standard. So uh, that's going to be a very, very interesting courtship of Urban by the Texas Longhorns. And it's going to be a very, very interesting decision for Pantone, Voltolini, and Marotti. And, you know, look, a lot of things could happen. A lot of things could happen. NFL teams are going to come after Ryan Day. They just are. 
He's a hot commodity in the coaching profession. This is a this is a dividing line for Ryan Day. He's been at Ohio State two years. The team he inherited is now going to dramatically change next year. Justin Fields is going to be gone. Chris Olave is going to be gone. A lot of guys, Josh Myers, Wyatt Davis, a lot of those guys are going to be gone. Okay, So Ryan's recruited exceedingly well. Does he want to put his own stamp on the Ohio State Buckeye program and never have anybody say, well, sure he won, but he won with Urban's players. Next year they're going to be Ryan's players. And that challenge, I'm sure, invigorates him. But the NFL is something that I think we all believe Ryan's going to do at some point. And it's easy to say, "Ah, NFL opportunities will always be there. Well, you don't know that. You don't know that. So if you get the perfect NFL opportunity, maybe right now is the time to go. Maybe Ryan goes, holy cow, i got to replace Voltolini and Marotti and Pantone, and i got this NFL job coming, and I don't want to bring, you know, and they make him an offer he can't refuse, and boom, Ryan leaves. So I'm not predicting any of that. I'm just saying it's on the radar, right? But that's okay because, hey, if Ryan left, Luke Fickle's right there. Just go right down to Cincinnati, boom, easy. You're fortunate as a college football program if the coach that fits you is available when you have an opportunity. Sometimes it doesn't work. Ask Michigan because I thought Harbaugh was perfect for them, and he has been an epic, epic, epic disaster. Speaking of fit, you need a health insurance company that fits you. You need health insurance benefits, rather, that fit you. And time's a-wasting on the open enrollment period. It started November the 1st, right after the delayed Big Ten season started. Now it's going to end December the 15th. Maybe you've put off, it's on the bottom of a stack of papers, I'm going to get to it, I'm going to get to it, I'm going to get to it. How many times have you been in that situation and you're like, "Eh, I meant to get to it last year and I didn't, so we just let it ride with the company we're with. And that may be fine, or it may not be. You may be paying for a company that's big on, let's say, maternity benefits, and you're well past the years where you're adding to your family. Or you may um, be with, you may have been with somebody because you're going to have a major surgery and you needed orthopedic care, and well, now you're fine, and you don't need, you need something else stacked in there that's uh, better for you. AUI Info is where I'm going, of course, auiinfo.com. Easy to navigate website. You go to the website, and boom, the chat feature pops up. What can I do to help you? And you just say, you know, I kind of like to evaluate my insurance and see if there's anything out there. I need this doc. I need this hospital. I like to pay about this much per month. Uh, this is the kind of copay I'd like to have. And AUI has uh, the expertise on every single carrier, and they do not have preferred carriers. They do not have like, oh, we're going to put you with X because then we get more money. No, they don't do that. They are a totally down the middle, and I know it's hard to find anything these days that's down the middle and not partisan, but They are just there to serve you, and then whoever they put you with, that company pays them. You don't pay them. And every health insurance policy accounts for you having a consultant. So if you haven't been availing yourself of the expertise of a consultant, well, you're paying for something you're not getting, which I don't like to do. AUIinfo.com, AUIinfo.com. You can meet with them on Zoom. You can meet with them on the phone. You can meet with them in person whenever you want. AUIinfo.com. Chrissy and Steve, they're phenomenal people, and... uh, Really have a heart for four people. So go with auiinfo.com. All right, so Barry Alvarez says the Big Ten may change its rules to allow Ohio State into the Big Ten title game, which, look, 
The Big Ten has done everything since the beginning of the season to get Ohio State in the playoff. They gave them a cushy schedule. Nobody thought Indiana was going to be what Indiana is going to be. Penn State and Michigan, you can't exorcise them from the schedule. And then when when Michigan and Penn State turned out to be lousy, it was just, (laughs) I mean, it was just a beer truck rolling downhill without breaks for Ohio State to go undefeated. Uh, but what what we didn't know was, are they going to get six games in? Well, the number of games that would have to be canceled, I think it's like 12 out of 14 games over the next two weeks, for the average number of games to drop to where five games would be enough for Ohio State to play in the Big Ten title game. But Alvarez says, well, hold on, we can always change that. So Barry Alvarez wants Ohio State in the playoff. And uh, uh, again, the the six-game regular season standard is a standard the Big Ten established, it's not a standard the College Football Playoff Committee has established. But, uh, you know, you remember the whole uh, conversation Ohio State benefited from a few years back when the Big 12 didn't have a title game. They had TCU and Baylor sitting there, and the reason given for Ohio State getting in the playoff was that additional game the Buckeyes had played. Well, now you're looking at teams like in the SEC, they're going to play they're going to play 10 or 11 games. And in the ACC, they're going to play 10 games. And if Ohio State plays five games, the question becomes, can you put Ohio State in at 5-0, and at 6-0, and over teams that are 9-1, and 10-1? <laughs> the answer is yes. Yes, you can, because you could do whatever you want. And as much as the college football playoff has sold everyone on the idea that it's the four best teams. We all know it is the four best teams balanced with what matchups and schools bring in the best TV ratings. That's why Ohio State got in over Baylor and TCU. Do you think if Ohio State played one less game than Baylor and TCU that Baylor and TCU would have got in? Come on, you're not stupid. So the best teams that can bring us the best ratings, that's the true measure but it's going to be interesting for the committee to come up with semifinal pairings let's say it's alabama clemson notre dame ohio state okay so the typical uh response to ohio state playing so many fewer games than everybody else would be to say well we'll penalize you we'll make you the fourth team okay clemson beats notre dame in the acc title game Clemson and Notre Dame, they're both one-loss teams, but they're both good, and Clemson lost without Trevor Lawrence. They beat Notre Dame without Trevor Lawrence, but you know, we're going to put them both in. So we'll put Notre Dame and Clemson 2-3. and three. Okay, but the problem with that is Clemson and Notre Dame have already played twice, and they played like three weeks before in the ACC title game. You're going to match them up again on New Year's Day? Eh, rubber match, maybe. Uh, but you make that the first game, you make Ohio State-Alabama the second game. Now, if Florida beats Bama... This is where it gets dicey for Ohio State. If Florida beats Bama in the in the SEC title game and Clemson beats Notre Dame, now you got unbeaten Ohio State. Let's say they're six and zero. They'll be five and zero tomorrow. And then they win the big. Let's then they win their next game. Okay, let's say the Michigan game doesn't happen. Now if they get to seven and zero, best case scenario, they get to seven and zero. They play Michigan. They beat them like a drum. They win the Big Ten championship game against Willie the Wildcat, and they're seven and zero. At 7-0, and I mean, you got a better argument, but I don't know who you leave out. You leave out Bama? I've been crushing everybody. You leave out Florida? They just beat Bama. You leave out Notre Dame? They beat Clemson. You leave out Clemson? They beat Notre Dame. So that's when it gets, eh, 
it's when it gets dicey. So we'll see. We'll see what we'll see. But uh, even in a COVID year, nothing is uh, completely clear uh, when it comes to the college football playoff. Uh, there, there won't be lawsuits, though. But if there were, I'd have Will Spangler Starling, my law firm of choice, uh, dig right into the middle of all that. Don't get into a situation where you look for a law firm when you need a law firm. Because then mm, you're just prisoner to maybe somebody's too busy. Maybe you know your friends are giving you recommendations and you don't really have time to vet them. Now, before you have personal injury, before you have workers' comp, before you have wills and estate, before you have all the probate stuff, before you have anything, get Willis Spangler Starling on your radar and just evaluate them at their website, willisattorneys.com, and maybe reach out to them and just go in, get a comfort level, read the mission statement on the wall that blew me away, and lock in that they're going to be your firm when it's go time. Willis Spangler Starling online, willisattorneys.com. They're great people. Uh, I've known them for seven, eight years. Just phenomenal, phenomenal people. So uh, that's where I go for all the things that I need to have a question about or protect my rights on something or look at a contract that I'm in the midst of. Willis Spangler Starling. And I refer a lot of people to them. And uh, and no one has ever said, oh, you know, that, what, that didn't go well. No, they all say, ah, thanks for referring me to the good people there. Truman Boulevard and Hilliard, Willis, W-I-L-L-I-S, attorneys.com. That's their website. Okay, Brownies at Tennessee, uh, they should play this game in the mud. This should be an old throwback game with Derrick Henry pounding away at the Browns' defense and Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt pounding away at the Titans' defense. The Titans have had their way with the Browns in the Mike Vrabel era, and it will be interesting to see if the Browns can win a quality game on the road. They have... Two gimmies left, Jets and Giants, and then they have the Ravens at home. We'd think the Ravens would beat the Browns, although, you know, games at first energy, anything can happen. So, uh, but if the Browns would win uh, three of those four, 11-win team. 11-win team, they're in the playoffs. 10-win team, probably in, but there are going to be a lot of 10-win teams. Wouldn't count on uh, that being an automatic. So, this is why it's a big game. For the Cleveland Browns, they get Miles Garrett back, and that should help them, obviously. But this one, this one very well could boil down to whose quarterback plays better: Ryan Tannehill, who the Browns didn't draft and could have, or Baker Mayfield, who the Browns. Uh, I don't think the Browns are going to bail on Baker Mayfield, but next year, kind of a big year for Baker. He's in year three right now. And he has not been as uh, he has not been nearly as good as he was as a rookie. The league adjusts to you, and you have to adjust to the league. And uh, Bake has not done that uh, in ex- in as exemplary a fashion as I expected him to do that. Now with the Bengals, they're going to Miami, and they're just waiting for the year to be over. Now that Joe Burrow's out, Joe Burrow's had his successful knee surgery, and Brandon Allen's going to be their quarterback. We don't know if two is going to play for the Dolphins, or if it's going to be Ryan Fitzpatrick. But if it's Fitz, who is a former Bengal, he's a former just about everything, uh, the Dolphins the Dolphins have won like six out of seven? Brian Flores is doing a great job down there. He's probably going to be coach of the year. So uh, I would not expect the Bengals to win this game on the road. Uh, Bengals right now have the number three pick. They're going to get a great player. They need great players. Uh, but the, the whole thing with the Bengals is, is Burrow coming back, and will he be back for the start of next season? 
Tua reached out to him on the phone. I thought that was a nice uh, gesture by Tua. Bama guy to an LSU guy, LSU-OSU guy. So uh, those two guys could be the face of the future of the AFC. Uh, Tua going number five overall to the Dolphins and Burrow going number one overall to the Bengals. So they will not get to play their first matchup, but uh, I would assume that they will meet years down the road and maybe even uh, become playoff combatants down the road. Okay, final thoughts on the sports side today. The Sarah Fuller story. And the reason I didn't bring up the Sarah Fuller story too in too great a depth uh, Wednesday with Spiels is because I'm never going to put Chris in a situation where anything he could say on this podcast would put him in peril with Fox. Chris and I have a great relationship. We're buddies. We joke around. We get going sometimes like friends do, and we know each other's sense of humor, and we say things to sort of shock each other, and then it goes out live on a podcast, and people get all sideways, and if I ever did anything to damage his gig at Fox, I'd be just, I'd I'd just be crushed. So uh, we've, look, yeah, at times, you know, I tell him, hey, look, man, be careful, because you got a great gig, and I'm your friend, and friends don't put friends in bad spots. So today I'm solo, so I can just say 95% of everything that I feel about the whole hullabaloo regarding Sarah Fuller, the Vanderbilt kicker, is not related to Sarah Fuller. I've got three female athletes, four. My wife's a college athlete, pro golfer. I love women's sports. I, I've been so impressed over the years with the improvement in uh, – the, the level of play in girls basketball, volleyball. Uh, I got, if you check my Twitter, you see how geeked out I got over the uh, girls cross-country team at my high school winning a state championship a couple of weeks ago. A few years ago at The Zone, when Chris and I first started, one of the really cool stories that we pursued was a story about a young lady named Andy Meeks at Springfield Shawnee High School who was the kicker on a football team. And she came in at the end of a game, last game of the season, and kicked a game-winning field goal so her father's team could, uh, so her team, and her coached by her dad, could get into the high school football playoffs. It was a phenomenal story. We had her on the show. And as luck would have it, as fate would have it, she kicked the ball through the goalposts, and the kid who caught it in the end zone was her brother, right? That's like a Hollywood script. So I thought that was awesome. And we put her on the air, and we wrote about her in a blog. And uh, so if any of you uh, people think that I hate women's sports, I'd use that as my, hey, check this out. But on the Sarah Fuller thing, this is a cultural thing, okay? This is a cultural thing. This is a, this is a way for uh, liberals to um, show that there are no differences between men and women. Well, there are differences between men and women, Um in generalities, there are differences. In specifics, there are differences, of course, when it comes to anatomy and mindset and things like that. But generally, this is, in my opinion, being played up as a way to uh, glorify the viewpoint that uh, there are no differences between men and women. And I don't really understand the motivation for that in the culture because, (laughs) look, man, um, the Bible is clear on... uh, women, how much God esteems women. Um, The metaphors that he uses uh, with Jesus and the church, and yes, this is going to delve into the faith portion somewhat. Um, He uses the metaphor as a bride. 
there are books in the Bible. One of the only books in the Bible that doesn't mention God is uh, the book of uh, Esther. And, uh, you know, so I think, you know, God definitely esteems women, and I do too. But God designed women differently than men to be a complement to men and men to give up their lives for their wives and lay down their lives for their wives. And so this blurring of the lines culturally between men and women is, in my opinion, a way to uh, forward the viewpoint that uh, God's view of men and women is not accurate. And so I'm going to push back on that every single day, all day. Sarah Fuller did fine coming to answering the call from her team to kick. Did they need to have her kick? No. You and I both know that in the NFL, when a kicker gets hurt, who kicks? A punter. Could the Vanderbilt punter have kicked off better than Sarah Fuller? Yes, obviously. Yes, there are guys on the Vanderbilt team who could have kicked off better than Sarah Fuller. There are guys who are students at Vanderbilt who could have kicked off in that game if they were given a walk-on tryout better than Sarah Fuller. Vanderbilt was trying to make a social statement. Okay, so they made it. So good for them. It's their right to do that. But don't cram down my throat and don't demean women by telling me that Sarah Fuller's kick was some exemplary kick. It wasn't. It was a it was what is the equivalent of the worst kick you can have as a man in football. Missouri got the ball at the 35-yard line. You get the ball at the 35-yard line if you kick it out of bounds. If Ohio State's kicker kicks it out of bounds, you're all torqued off because why can't you? Well, you look at the field position you gave up. Okay. So there's that. Now, she's, she's given. She didn't earn. She was given SEC Special Teams Player of the Week. Give me a break. Yesterday, the Football Writers Association of America, which I'm thankful I'm no longer a member of, nominated her for the Capital One Orange Bowl Courage Award. Okay. She doesn't have cancer. She's not playing through like her like her parents weren't killed in a car accident and she went out and kicked a game-winning field goal. Like to nominate her for that award is a joke. Is a joke. And there was there was something, um, I'll say, admirable about her being willing to put herself out there and go, but courageous? No. No. She kicked off. She ran off the field. She didn't take a hit. She didn't, I mean, come on. And I don't want her to take a hit. I don't want her to take a hit. I don't want to see that. Um, so this jamming down our throat. And the other thing that this this incident points out is, by extolling her kickoff as this great accomplishment, what, what the proponents of that are essentially saying is, hey, that was a really nice kick for a girl, which is totally condescending, right, if you say that out loud. But that's what they're saying. They're either saying that's the best any woman could do. That's the best any woman could do. What a great kickoff. Or they're saying we shouldn't expect more from women. You know, she's not capable of more. So... Neither one's flattering, but as is often the case, uh, people spin themselves into knots when they try to be uh, politically correct. My only issue with Sarah Fuller in this whole thing is that it was not appropriate for her to lecture her teammates at halftime about what's wrong with them as football players and as a team. That was way over the line. She's believing her own press clippings at that point. This is literally a girl who has never played a down of football in her life at that point in her life. 
telling scholarship football players who have been good enough in high school to get recruited for a full-ride scholarship to Vanderbilt University, a university in the Southeastern Conference, the deepest football conference in America over time. She's telling them that they're not good because they don't cheer enough for each other. This demonstrates her lack of awareness on the difference between men and women. In that, women respond motivationally different than men. I wrote about this on PressProsMagazine.com. You go to a girls' softball game, what do they do? They're chanting in unison, yeah, yeah, yeah. Does that ever happen at a baseball game? No. Because guys would think that was stupid and it would not speak to them. But it rallies girls because girls, and I know this having raised three girls, raising my voice to my girls does not get through to them. You know, they don't respond to that. Girls respond, and I've talked to my girls have been coached by many men and many women. Girls respond to belief and affirmation. I got confidence in you. I, you know, I affirm you. I really appreciate what you're doing. Now, you can coach them hard, but you, they must always know that you believe in them and affirm them. I prefer that with guys as well. I think the face mask grabbing, you know, trash can throwing days of uh, Neanderthal motivational coaches as men should be over, but men do respond many more men than women respond to being told, ah, you stink, you're no good, blah, 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 blah. There's a challenge aspect to motivating men that does not work with women. And, uh, you know, what do football players do to get fired up? They smack each other in the head. They smack each other on the shoulder pads. They bump each other in the chest. They headbutt each other. You ever seen girls do that? No, you won't see them do that either. So Sarah Fuller giving a pep talk, telling him, oh, you need to cheer for each other more. Come on. You're a kicker, okay? Sit down, be quiet. Because you're a kicker, more so than because you're a girl. Adam Vinatieri, I checked with a guy who worked for the Patriots. Adam Vinatieri didn't give pep talks to the New England Patriots. He's going to go to the Hall of Fame, Adam Vinatieri. He didn't give pep talks. What did Peyton Manning call his kicker? Indianapolis, you know, okay? Kickers, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. <sighs> I got upset during that, and I now I transition into the <laughs> faith portion, the deeper faith portion of the podcast. Seems a little uh, misplaced, but hey, if I uh, erred there, I am sorry. Here's the beautiful part about making mistakes. I'll tell you a little story that I of a mistake that I made. Years ago, this time of year, I was um, designated to read scripture at a Christmas Eve service, and uh, in many churches, uh, Christmas is marked by what's called the season of Advent, and uh, usually that's celebrated with a candle, a white candle, which signifies um, Jesus Christ, white being perfect, pristine, unmarked, unblemished, for the sinless life that he lived. And it's surrounded by like four red candles, and every Sunday before as a Sunday approaches Christmas, you light a red candle. And they have a name for the it's a candle of this, candle of the candle of this, that, the other, whatever. Um, so I'm lighting the Christ candle, the center candle, the white candle, on Christmas Eve. So in order to do that, you are to take one of the red candles that is already lit, and you are to tip it and 
light the white candle. So I did that. I grabbed the red candle. I read scripture. I tipped the red candle to light the white candle and put the candles back and went back to my seat. I looked up and I noticed that when I had tipped the red candle, the wax, the red wax that had collected in the, you know, candle had spilled as I tipped the candle forward, had spilled all over the front of the white candle. And I sat there and I'm like, wow, I screwed that up. I ruined the white candle. And then I realized something like, hmm, that looks like blood on that candle. And I thought, and I had the pastor come up to me afterward and say, did you see that? It's like, that's really cool. Like that white Christ candle now has red streaks all over it, which we could certainly equate to the blood of Jesus on the cross. And so when Christmas approaches, I always remember that, and I always think about this phrase we use in sports called a man on a mission or a person on a mission. Um, free agent is signed. LeBron, signed by the Cavs. Come back, well, I want to win a title. That was his mission, and he did. Good for him. Jesus was a man on a mission. He came to earth as the God-man, fully God, fully man came as a baby in a manger, and we celebrate that at Christmas, and it's a great image, and people can be comfortable with that. But what you really need to remember about Jesus at Christmas is that he didn't come to be a baby in a manger. He came to be a man on a cross at Easter. He came with a mission. He came to give us a method to have us cleansed of our sin. And the way that he did that was to shed his blood. So he came, and he was perfect, white, pristine, like that candle. But our actions stained him, like my tipping of the red candle, stained him with blood. And thankfully, that allows us to be perfect, perfected, viewed as perfect in God's sight. So the message of Christmas and the message of Easter are irrevocably linked. And we should never lose sight of that as Christians. Um, Thankfully, God has provided a way for us to be cleansed. And for many years of my life, I spent <laughs> many hours stressed, bothered, frightened about the wrath of God that I would feel for all my many mistakes in, in actions and in attitudes and in thoughts. And I knew I wasn't good enough to be uh, accepted by 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 God as um, qualified for heaven. When I finally dug into the Word of God and realized that Jesus paid it all at the cross, that He settled my salvation issue with His death, and all I had to do was accept that free gift of salvation, then I began understanding what a great trade that was. My sin for his perfection. Man, that's a that's the greatest trait of all time. And it allows me to relax and to endeavor to live gratefully, live thankfully. Um, and so that's the secret to Christianity is getting the depth of your forgiveness, getting the transaction between God's trading, Jesus's perfection for your imperfection. And once you get that, you are forever indebted, and living an obedient life 
I mean, God tells us how to live not for his benefit. He tells us how to live for our benefit. That's the other part. People think, oh, I can't have any fun. Well, usually what you think is fun initially leads to pain and, and emptiness later on. How many celebrities are, got all the money in the world, chase all the pleasure in the world? Do they look happy to you? Mm, they don't. So uh, that's my message to you um, at the end of this podcast. I hope you have a great weekend. And uh, Chris will be back on Monday. We'll be able to reflect upon Ohio State's, I'm sure, comfortable win over Michigan State. We'll have a better picture of whether Michigan is going to play Ohio State on December the 12th. And we hope you'll send us nominations for COVID-19 relief. Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, an iTunes review would be nice as well. So... Um, and you can email the show, Podcast at gmail.com with your thoughts on the content of the podcast or a COVID-19 relief nomination. Thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend. God bless.